Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Raptors Raptor podcast. This is your host, Hunter Surplus. In just a minute, we're going to have Mike Bassetti, who is the site expert for Raptors Raptor, come on and talk to us a little bit. We're going to be talking the Tristan Thompson trade rumors that have been kind of looming around, the Fred Van Fleet payday that's going to inevitably come at the end of this season, and as always, the six numbers that have gotten us through this week. But before we start, just want to remind you guys to go subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you guys get your podcasts. You're listening to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. What's up? So we have got Mike Bassetti on the line. Mike, how's it going, buddy? Good, man. How are you? I am fantastic. Let's get into the Raptors talk. Right now, they sit at 15-6, and six, which has them fourth in the NBA's Eastern Conference, right behind the Bucks, the Miami Heat, and the Boston Celtics. Not in that order. It's Bucks, Celtics, Heat. And then right in front of the Philadelphia 76ers and the Indiana Pacers. And everybody after that kind of doesn't really matter. They went one and two. This week, their first losing week of the season, they are now, and both those losses came at home, by the way, which, you know, they were undefeated there before. They're now ninth in offense and fifth in defense, according to basketball reference. It is obviously time to start panicking, right, Mike? Yeah, I, two losses, you basically are going down the toilet. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked if they make the playoffs at this point. I totally agree. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the news I so I mentioned to this to you, Mike, before we started. But um, Kawhi Leonard's returning on Wednesday, but we are going to save the Kawhi talk for Tuesday, as I'm having Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors on to discuss a pretty much a a full Kawhi episode. So we're going to skip over that, unless you have any comments, just to start off this segment a little bit. No, no, I don't have any Kawhi comments really. Just I think it's kind of been talked about so much, and I'm looking forward to the pod you guys have. So. With your whole pod dedicated to it, I don't think there's really anything that I need to add in. Awesome. So the first thing that I want to talk about is yet another trade rumor that was kind of circulating this week. And that was that the Raptors were interested in trading for Tristan Thompson. Now, they did get shut down a little bit by Michael Grange of Sportsnet. So it's not really a realistic trade to be talking about. But Mike... Would you be interested in a trade like this that maybe addresses the Raptors' rebounding issues? No, not really. I mean, Tristan Thompson, I think, is starting to be underrated by a lot of fans just because we haven't seen him play on a meaningful team in so long, and the Cavaliers have obviously been, uh, we'll say, not competitive, to put it nicely here. But that's a pretty lateral move. If you're going to have to do it, it's basically got to be an Ibaka or Gasol trade. Uh, Gasol is a downgrade in my opinion. And Ibaka is probably a lateral move. Maybe Tristan Thompson's a little bit better than Ibaka right now. He still lines up with your timeline of 2021 clearing cap. But to me, that's just a lateral move and a little bit of an overreaction for uh, rebounding struggles that I don't think are that bad. To me, that's more a Tristan Thompson leap trying to get out of Cleveland than it is anything else. Yeah, and like Tristan Thompson's numbers are relatively good this year. Like he he is having a you know a quote unquote career season, but that only means like just over thirteen and a half points and just under ten and a half rebounds. And outside of that, he doesn't 
he doesn't really do all that much. Like he's not necessarily a net positive on the defensive end as much as a Sergio Baca or Marcus All. So like you're saying, like obviously it's a damn grade for Gasol just because of what Gasol brings IQ wise and and you know being able to calm the offense down and and how high his IQ is on the defensive end. And then I think Gasol, I mean uh, Abaka, sorry for the for the locker room is just a way better fit than than a Tristan Thompson. I I think everybody knows that the whole team loves Serge Ibaka and getting rid of him might be more impactful in a negative way than bringing in Tristan Thompson is in a in a positive way. And like you said, the rebounding issue, yeah, it's it's there, it's present. We saw them kind of get killed on the glass against the Rockets, but it's not as bad as maybe you know, you'd think when considering the trade rumors that are going around. Yeah. So two things, one rebounding is a discount skill that you can find relatively easy on the trade market. If you have rebounding issues, you don't have to go make a monster change to your lineup. Just go get kind of a scrappy guy that you can put in if you really need a board. And maybe that's understating a bit, but to me, I just don't find rebounding as this really kind of high-end value skill that you need to worry about. Uh, the second thing is that it's no coincidence to me that, one, these Tristan Thompson rumors leak out, then, two, Sham Sharania, who is a uh, is represented by Clutch, writes a piece talking about how there's dysfunction within the Cavaliers' uh, locker room and how John Beeline's running a college system and all these things. To me, that's not necessarily unrelated Maybe that's just speculation. I obviously can't say that for sure, but those coming out kind of coincidentally is, to me, it just kind of smells a little bit funny to me. What do you think? Yeah, it's probably not a coincidence. Um, like you said, we don't we don't know that for sure, and we probably never will know for sure. But, I mean, it for a guy who's having a, a career year on a really bad team, he's probably looking at his situation and thinking, you know what, like, Gasol helped a, a title team last season, and if a team is maybe willing to give up a little bit to get me, obviously he's not going to have the same impact as Gasol, but if a team needs a rebounding or, or, or needs some spark off the bench for offense or whatever, you know, Tristan Thompson might not be a bad, a bad fit for that, kind of, for that kind of team or if somebody needs someone like him. But I also wouldn't count out him getting bought out by the end of the season I know it is a, a relatively hefty contract for somebody to be bought out on but I don't know why anyone would make a move now especially the Cavs aren't going to be in the playoff conversation when it comes down to it if they're especially low in the in the rankings and they go and are saying you know we have you know 20 games left or whatever let's buy him out and someone can maybe pick him up on the as a free agent closer to that date and I don't know why you would move off of one of your pieces like an Ibaka or a Gasol or whoever the Raptors would have to give up to get a guy like this when you could maybe wait it out and and see if you can get him in like as a free agent or whatever yeah totally agree we probably already spent too much time on a guy that's <laughs> not getting moved so yeah I agree um one guy who also might be on a different team when free agency comes Fred Van Fleet so people have been kind of circulating the rumor that teams are looking to give Fred Van Fleet a possible 20 to 30 million dollars when free agency hits. And that's that's a pretty big number for 
Fred Van Fleet. I know he did get that one vote as the finals MVP, so you can't discount him for that. Is that type of money realistic for a guy like Van Fleet? Uh, two things. One, is it realistic? Absolutely. Uh, people overpay in free agency. Fred Van Vliet has shown the goods enough that a team is really going to talk themselves into him, in my opinion, and he probably is going to get a massive payday. I've been saying, uh, kind of talking with one of our contributors, Mark, for a while here, that he's going to get over $20 million, has always been my speculation. Bobby Marks recently noted he expects 25 to $30 million. So 25 30 might seem high, but I don't expect that number to come in anything less than $20 million because – it's just one of those things. It only takes one team to want you. And uh, there's been a lot of talk that not that many teams that need a point guard have cap space this summer. But we just saw with Jimmy Butler go to the Miami Heat when they had no cap space. The Timberwolves made a run at D'Angelo Russell when they had no cap space. In today's modern NBA, you really don't need the space. It's just get the guy to commit to you for the number that you want, and you'll figure the rest out. 30 seems high. It seems like pretty high for a guy like Van Fleet. And I don't know if I just have this mentality where I'm just like, oh no, he's he's the second fiddle behind Lowry and you know he he should get paid like like that. He has been having a really good season. I can't deny that. And he was a super crucial part to the Raptors' success. I mean ob- like post Fred Jr. being born, obviously. But I I just feel like I need to see a little bit more from him and I I don't know if it's skepticism for me and and you know maybe he's going to regress to the mean but you saw Terry Rozier get a fat contract in free agency after having a really good season when Kyrie Irving was out for the Celtics and then kind of obviously he did take a little bit of a step back when uh when it was Ky- when Kyrie Irving came back and kind of ran the show there in Boston but it's I don't know. It just it, I would feel uneasy as an organization giving Fred Van Fleet $30 million, but I also don't run a basketball organization, so maybe they know stuff that we don't. There, There's a great story about when the Warriors were the 73-win Warriors, and Harrison Barnes, you know, this is before they got Durant, and they didn't know that they were going to get Durant, and someone went up to Jerry West and they said, hey, Harrison Barnes, you know, Someone's going to offer him a max contract. And Jerry West very seriously looked at them, waved his pinky, and just said, bye bye And yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of Fred Van Vliet. Like, if it's $30 million, I, you know, I'm not paying Fred Van Vliet $30 million. And maybe that's, like, that's a tough pill to swallow, watching him walk for nothing. And it's maybe, I don't know. But you just, $30 million, you can't pay Fred Van Vliet that, in my opinion. I know, I 100% agree. And I, I also think Masai Ujiri is probably too smart to pay Fred Van Fleet $30 million. I don't... What, let me ask you a question. So yeah. uh, we're already running long here, but uh, I'll just ask you if you knew... Say that Masai kind of has feelers out throughout the league and knows he's getting nothing less than $27 million provided he plays well this season. This is, and we're really getting reckless here, but let's do it. Would you think about moving him at all? I, uh, I, I would think about it. I would take calls. Yeah, I'm not hanging calls. up. Yeah, absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not sending it straight to voicemail. I'm not sending it to the assistant. I would take the call, and and you know, if if you can get something valuable for him, then it it is a good move. The only like my only worry with doing something like that that would backfire is 
it's he's one of the only point guards that is going to be accessible for the Raptors. And I say that very lightly. I mean, there's a lot of players could come to Toronto, but that's on the same timeline as Pascal Siakam. They are, you know, a year apart in age. And I think that is an important thing to think about. But if he is going to be getting 30 something million or 27, like you said, I would, I would definitely look at moving him or at least the option of moving him. Right. I don't know if I'm reaching out to teams, but if somebody calls, I'm I'm hearing them out. That's Absolutely. what I would say. Yeah. All right. I uh I totally agree. I totally agree. So that'll end it for our new segment of this episode and we're going to get into our six numbers in just a minute. So we're back and these are our six numbers of the week. The first one, 23 points for James Harden in their game against the Houston Rockets. Now, he was held to only 11 field goal attempts in this game, which is ridiculously low. And he had only six free throw attempts, which is a season low for James Harden. It's the lowest scoring game this year, except for his first game against the Milwaukee Bucks. But since then, he's pretty much scored over 27 a game since. The Raptors did lose this game. And... Their defensive strategy is, I don't want to say it's the reason they lost this game, but they basically went and said, anybody else but James Harden beat us, and everybody else except for Russell Westbrook and James Harden beat them. Was this strategy a little bit too much? Like, was it a little too aggressive on James Harden? So we've seen kind of early in this season, Nick Nurse has prioritized stopping stars above everything else. He's really blitzed guys off the pick and roll. He's doubled them in whenever they're catching the ball in the post. We talked about Joel Embiid scoring zero, and that was because of double teams as much as it was because of Gasol. Damian Lillard didn't score a lot. Kawhi Leonard didn't score a lot. This one is where it seems like it went just a little too far in that direction. They were doubling him right off the bat at half court, and he was starting kind of the four on the four on three break for them. And it, I don't know, maybe you just live with that, but it seemed like they gave up a lot of corner threes and they did give up a lot of corner threes. And that wasn't a coincidence to me. That was taking a good idea, a step too far and being a little too aggressive going all out on Harden. Yeah. And I, and like you said, they did get a lot of open shots. The Rockets did. And Frankly, I just think that they were the better team in that one. Like usually the Raptors have been the better team in in most of these games that they've played this year, but you know what? The Rockets did beat them and you know Ben McLemore shooting shooting his head off is is something that I would bet against almost any day of the week. Obviously yeah. except for when they're playing the Raptors, but yeah. But one thing I would say is those were good looks. It wasn't like he was catching fire here and yeah he did a little bit but part of that was the Raptors were just all out blitzing and Ben McLemore was getting wide open threes and I know he's Ben McLemore but he's still an NBA player and a solid shooter so yes I agree with you at some level but the idea that this was kind of fluky and that Ben McLemore just happened to score 20 points is maybe a step too far I I think that they really kind of because of their scheme allowed him to get open looks and he just is still an NBA player that's fair. Do you think that they should continue this kind of defense? Like you, you mentioned it against you know Dame Lillard and 
and uh, Joel Embiid are the two big ones that stand out to me. And obviously, like, Kawhi Leonard and LeBron struggled a little bit in games against the Raptors. But do you think that they should continue with this and, and stop the Stars and kind of let the team beat you in games in the future? Like, even... If there's going to be a playoff series against the Bucks, you're going to have Giannis and everybody else. And if there's a game, obviously, against the Sixers, Joel Embiid, everybody else, the Heat, uh, Jimmy Butler, everybody else, do you think that that's a good strategy for the Raptors to go on against? Maybe not the the type of team that the Rockets are because they're a very they're a different team than most of the teams in the East, but would you continue that maybe into the playoffs against one of these teams? Well, it's it's tougher on Giannis just due to the fact he works from isolation a little bit more than he does out of the pick and roll. And because he's so big, blitzing him doesn't work as effective as it does against other guys like Damian Lillard and even Kawhi Leonard just due to the fact he's not a fantastic passer. So he's a little bit different. But in general, yeah, you look at how they stopped Kawhi Leonard and they lost to the Clippers because they couldn't get a bucket down the stretch. It wasn't because of their defense. They beat the Lakers. They beat the Portland Trailblazers. They beat the 76ers. So, in general, I thought that they have done a pretty good job defensively with those stars. And I, to me, you continue to play that defense and see how it works out. And, obviously, you want to switch it up. You're not just going to continuously blitz the guy and then allow them to adjust like that. And, uh, particularly over the course of a seven-game series, you're going to have to give guys different looks. And maybe you blitz the first game, and before they even adjust, you don't blitz and try to counter before they counter. And yeah, so in general, yes, but of course, always looking in that seven game series, you always got to be able to adjust. And to me, it's all about switching up schemes. Yeah. And, and like you said, like playoff series are super different. So these one-off games aren't going to be, you know, they're not going to play the same way every single game of that playoff series, but you know, it's always fun to see what Nick nurse has up his sleeve when it comes to defense. I think everybody knew that they were going to be aggressive and probably double team James Harden and and give a couple guys open looks, which may have worked and may have not worked. We didn't really know going into it, but it was it is interesting to see. And I I do like the the different looks that he was kind of throwing out there at Harden and at the Rockets offense. And you know I'm I'd be interested to see how this second game goes against the Rockets whenever it is. I I don't have it up right away, but it it will be cool to see if they throw the same type of strategy at him or if they go with something completely different or, or just slightly slightly different um, and maybe mitigate the open threes that other the other guys get on the team. Getting yeah, into sorry. our... Totally agree. No, yeah, no worries. Um, so getting into our second number of the week, the Raptors have now moved to one and three versus the top of the Eastern Conference um, which is the Celtics, Bucks, Heat, and Sixers. They obviously won that game against the Sixers, but lost to the Bucks, lost to the Celtics, and lost to the Heat. Does this change at all where you think they sit in the East, or is it just a matter of it's just one game against each of these teams? It's funny because if Kyle Lowry shoots just anything close to what Kyle Lowry normally does in his first game back, they beat the Miami Heat. But at the same time, when I was watching that, it just felt like they were a really tough matchup for the Raptors. They got a lot of guys who are those wings, and that's been Toronto's calling card of these rangy athletic wings that they can put on you. It seems like Miami has even more of those guys, and particularly when you're talking about Bam out of Bayou and the job he did on Pascal Siakam was 
really eye-opening to me. I He wasn't – Pascal Siakam finished the fourth quarter in overtime with one field goal attempt. That's not missing shots. That's getting locked completely up. So that worried me a lot, and maybe that shouldn't because, again, if Kyle Lowry hits those shots. But that game worried me a bit. But in general, no, not really. I, you know, the Bucks beat the Raptors and at Milwaukee, and no, I mean the Bucks are probably a better team right now. I don't think that's a stretch to say. Uh, they beat the 76ers, and a uh, loss to the Celtics doesn't mean much. And so, not really. The only thing I would say is that Miami Heat game did bother me some. It just looked like they were a tough matchup for Toronto. Yeah, I'm I'm with you with that Miami game because you're right. Like it. It did just look like they were really, really struggling out there. And, you know, the Raptors did have good looks for a lot of the game. And like you said, Kyle Lowry basically wasn't hitting shots all game. And if he does hit some of his wide-open shots, it's a, it's a different score and it's a different game. And the Raptors probably go out to win it. But, uh, you know, that one did worry me. And I don't, I still don't think the Heat are a better team, like, in in totality. I just think that they're probably going to be the toughest matchup for this Raptors team, maybe outside the Bucks, um, but they're right up there with the Sixers. And I do like the Raptors' chances still against the Celtics when it comes down to it. But I mean, seeing all these games, like none of them, a lot of the scores are you know ten points, um, ten point difference in those losses, but none of them were really ten point losses, right? Like that game against the Heat, they basically just sucked in overtime they were they had a horrible overtime period against the heat there jimmy butler just ran up the score in the first 55 seconds or whatever it was but other than that it was relatively tight throughout the game and uh, the game against the celtics wasn't a, a blowout by any means throughout the game and the bucks same thing and and it's still early in the season they still have a bunch more games against these guys but yeah it doesn't it doesn't change a whole lot a whole lot for me and a playoff series between any of these teams will be very fun to see. Yeah, I think it's going to kind of be this rock, paper, scissors of matchups where maybe the Miami Heat are a good matchup for the Raptors. I think the Raptors have a good matchup against the 76ers. And, you know, I still don't know about Boston yet. So it might be the situation where everybody's trying to face a different person, which will be interesting to see at kind of at the end of the season if the standings are still this close and how tightly contested it will be if there's any kind of stealth tanking or anything like that. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to watch. But most importantly, kind of as I like to stress a lot, is in 82 games, you don't want to take away from one game too much, and that goes for even four games against the top teams. Yeah, and so you mentioned uh, the one shot in fourth and overtime versus the Heat. That is our next number for this week. Uh, the one shot for Siakam. He had only three against the Rockets in the fourth quarter as well, which isn't exactly great. Both games uh, combined, you know, three quarters, you know, two and a half quarters almost with just four shots for Pascal Siakam. That's not what he usually does, and I'm not used to seeing stuff like that. Do you think that teams have started to figure him out, or is it more a case of him kind of coming back to earth and having a bit of a bad week? It's... You know, it's probably a combination of factors. It's one, uh, coming back down to earth, as you mentioned. It's working Kyle Lowry back into the rotation after he was the main guy for so long. I'm sure it's a little bit weird to not have the ball constantly anymore. 
And to be running through Kyle Lowry after you kind of get in a rhythm running with that other unit that you've been working with. And it's, you know, a tough matchup here and there is enough to swing it. So probably a combination of factors. Again, I'm not worried. When we talked earlier about whether Pascal Siakam was a top seven player in the NBA, to me, he wasn't, but he was playing like one. I think he was always going to come back down to earth a little bit, but he's not going to play like he has the past couple of games. And I expect him to improve to somewhere a little bit less than where he started and a little bit greater than where he is now. Yeah. And as you know, as quote unquote bad as he's been, I mean, he's still putting up 20 points and like 10 and a half rebounds a game, which is still like really good numbers for a guy like him who had quiet games and especially quiet fourth quarters there. But you know, it's just when his shot isn't falling, it's, it's kind of an ugly game to watch because a lot of his shots that he's taking and that he makes most of the time are are difficult shots. And he's making all these different spin moves and, and driving to the basket and these crazy layups that are just, you have to be super athletic to do. And when he's missing those shots, you're like, oh my God, what the hell is this guy doing? Which is, it says something about his game, but the one part that does... I don't want to say worry because worry is a bit too heavy of a word on that one. But when he is matched up against a guy like Bam Adebayo, who, like you said, did completely lock him up in that fourth quarter where to the point that they just weren't giving him the ball. Like at one point in the fourth with like a couple minutes left, I was thinking to myself, I was watching the game with my girlfriend and I was thinking to myself, like what, why is Pascal Siakam not on the floor? And then I realized he was out there except he was just standing in the corner not even going anywhere near the ball. And the second thing is that, you know, the same thing that happened in Orlando, right, where he only had 10 points when Jonathan Isaac and their kind of staff of really long defenders were able to shut him down quite a bit. It it doesn't worry me per se, but I am coming to think that if a team does have a long defender that maybe isn't the most athletic guy, but can kind of keep up with Siakam, he is going to struggle more than the Raptors are kind of okay with, which, I mean, it's 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 going to happen to players like that, and it's whether he can make the adjustments and whether the team can make the adjustments in terms of getting him more involved in the game. Yeah, it's something where now the conversation has changed about Siakam and we can talk about whether that's fair. And But, you know, if we're going to talk about you as a top seven player, then at some level we're going to talk about scoring all the time and you have to be the number one hub of the offense at all points. And that's kind of where we're at now. And I don't think – I think there's maybe seven guys in the NBA who are matchup proof. To me, Pascal isn't quite there yet where just no matter who's there – he's going to put up his numbers and you can count him in. That's something that is reserved for, you know, the LeBron, Kawhi, that kind of club. So he's not quite there, but it is crazy just how far he's come. I just want to list here his point totals for the first five games of last year. He scored 13, 4, 10, 4, and 9, and then 10 points in game six. So it's kind of funny that we're here nitpicking, and obviously we should, I think, because he's made himself that good. These 20-point performances – when last year we were getting four-point games kind of scattered throughout his season. Last year, not even that Like, it's not 
two years ago, three years ago. This was last season. We could talk all day about how cool the the research or the the surge of Siakam has been, um, but we don't really have the time for that. Maybe one day when he wins MVP, we can do a whole podcast dedicated to Siakam's uprise and and how cool it is to kind of watch him grow the way that he has. On to the next number. It is a bit of a negative here, literally a negative, which is a negative 0.3, which was the Raptors' net rating for this past week. Like I said, they were 1-2 this week, and this is their first week with a negative net rating. I'm not concerned at all about this number, like, whatsoever, but like, kind of like with Siakam, is it more of a case of them coming down to earth here, or should we expect a... A, a low number that, you know, they've kind of been playing out of their heads. They've been playing a little bit out of their heads, and we talked about that on last week's pod, that it was going to come down a little bit as far as sustainability with this offense and how well they were shooting the ball. But you had two tough matchups in the Miami Heat and the Houston Rockets, and they got the better of you and won those games. So when you lose two games in the week uh, where you only play three, it's you're probably going to have in that rating unless you really blow out that third team. So to me, it's it's a little deal, maybe not no deal, but just something to keep an eye on. Those It was tough matchups, and Toronto so far has kind of beaten up on the crappy teams and maybe, I wouldn't say struggled with the better teams, but they haven't played you know quite as dominantly as you would like to see against the top teams, and I, that wouldn't surprise me if that happened throughout the year. But two tough matchups, that doesn't surprise me that they have a negative net writing for the week. Yeah, like you said, they did have they did have the tough matchups and it, it doesn't really get much easier over this next week. They play the Sixers. They're at the bulls. So that that's not crazy, but it is the second half of a back to back. And then they've got the Clippers, which is Kawhi's return game. And then the nets on Saturday. So, you know, there's two, two tough matchups in there, one relatively tough matchup. And then, uh, one, pretty much you should win it but you're right they have been beating the, the bad teams which the really good teams are supposed to do that's how you get to 50 wins that's how you get to 60 wins which you know the raptors are probably get are probably not getting to 60 wins but 50 wins is definitely in play and um you know they're doing what they need to do but it would be nice to see them to see them get a win against one of these teams who are considered contenders for their conference yeah, I, I totally agree, and they, they kind of remind me of in the Spurs a little bit where they're so smart that if you are a young team or a dumb team, they're just going to abuse you in that way. So that's where they really kind of feast on teams. And you're right, the schedule is really hard here for the beginning of the su- or beginning of December. It gets angel food cakes off in the second half, so that will be something to watch if they kind of go on a hot streak in the second half of the month, maybe they're playing better or maybe they just got an easier road. So a lot of times to me, we do this thing where we try to generate these narratives based on what's happened in the past month or so. And a lot of times it can just be look at the schedule and see what has happened. And to me, they might struggle in the next little bit here, but they'll probably kind of pick it up here in the second half. And I think, if you know if they do struggle in terms of you know losing games it's not that big of a deal if they're good games as long as they're not getting blown out by you know the Sixers or the Clippers or the Nets or uh, the Mavericks then it's not a big deal whatsoever it's as long as they're 
in these games and it's at least a close game up until you know maybe five minutes left in the fourth and then if they if they end up kind of blowing the lead there if they they let the other team kind of blow it out of the water then it is it is a little more acceptable for these guys to be losing games and obviously you know you're going to lose games in the nba season it's not that big of a deal Exactly. You just you want to go 500 against those really top tier opponents and then beat up on the losers and you'll end up with a 55 win record. So and and that's what they're doing so far, which I like to see. So our next number is the 40 point halftime lead against the Jazz, which was a franchise record for the team. For you, Mike, what stood out the most in terms of maybe even not just the Maybe not just the first half, but the game in total. But, you know, I think the first half is going to be the thing that really is the talking point of this discussion. Yeah, whatever happened in the second is just whatever. That's really kind of natural human nature that when you're up that big, that jazz run in the second half almost doesn't count towards what they're actually doing in the season. But the thing that kind of stood out to me was just how – no one on Utah was an answer for Pascal Siakam and they allowed him to post up and maybe he didn't score that much out of the post. He had a couple where he just abused Royce O'Neal down there who credit to Royce O'Neal was doing his best despite being significantly undersized. But whenever they doubled, they would swing it around a couple of times, get an easy bucket. If they left him one-on-one, Pascal would roast him. So that to me was one of the biggest takeaways is if he gets a matchup that he likes, the Raptors can really just run things through him as far as a hub of posting up. And the post up is kind of dead as they talk about for scoring opportunities. But a lot of teams like to get the ball into the post, let the double come, swing, 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 triple. And the Raptors are going to be particularly good at that, particularly when you have Marcus all kind of running things on the perimeter and you have Pascal down low who commands a double team against so many opponents. The one that I wrote down was how many of their baskets were assisted. And you mentioned like nobody had an answer for Pascal Siakam and yeah, he, he was fantastic, especially in that first half. I, you know, I, I tweeted out that, you know, Pascal Siakam, I would have expected him to go for 60 that night if they weren't up by so much, that's how kind of dominant he was. But 21 of those 29 baskets that the Raptors made in the first half were assisted, which was really cool. And they were, they were hitting a lot of threes. They were just bombing from three, taking a lot of three point shots. And I think, like you said, you know, having Gasol able to to move the ball the way he does and the way the Pascal Siakam commands double teams, especially when he's as hot as he was really took into account for that. And it was just an amazing, amazing effort uh, offensively from the team in the first half for sure. Yeah, those assists just come off when Pascal is able to dominate, bring the double team. When you get double teamed, it's naturally just going to lead to a lot of assists because the ball flies around like that uh, just based on the rotations of the defense. So whenever you see a guy get double teamed, a lot of times that leads to high assist numbers, you know, if the offense is playing it correctly, which the Raptors obviously were that night. Yeah, and so this kind of leads into our our next number uh, of the week, and that's 31.2%, which was the percentage of shots that were catch and shoot for this for the Raptors this week. And that's kind of been the trend this whole year, and, and I know we did just talk about it, so we can keep this discussion about this quick. Um, you know, they did struggle this week in terms of one and two negative net rating. We talked about all that stuff, but... This is a good thing if you're if you're shooting that many wide well not necessarily wide open shots but catch and shoot shots that 
you know, usually those go in at a higher percentage than off the dribble, especially when they're three pointers the way they have been. So, you know, I'm impressed with this number. What say you? Yeah, absolutely. The more kind of in general, when you see your offense is getting three point shots, shots at the rim and particularly, you know, a three point shot isn't necessarily good as far as if you're getting it off the dribble, but if you're getting it in the catch and shoot situation, that's just going to be an efficient shot almost all the time uh, as long as you're open, which I don't see a lot of contested shots there. So, yeah, if you what you want is shots that you are either doing catch and shoot by driving kick or shots that you get at the rim. And the Raptors have been one of the best teams as far as getting to the basket this season. And, you know, that catch and shoot stat that you said says a lot. Yeah, and it, you know what? It leads to a lot of beautiful basketball clips which i really love to see you know instead of a a poster dunk or a nasty pass or something like that seeing the ball fly around from from your favorite team is is something to watch especially you know when you're scrolling through instagram right before bed it's it's a nice little thing to to see before before shutting your eyes for the night yeah it's spurgasms as they're called so (laughs) exactly exactly So we are going to hop in our predictions and game of the week, but we'll be back in just a second. So we're back, and we are going to talk about our last week's game of the week. As we mentioned, they played the Utah Jazz, Miami Heat, and Houston Rockets. They were one and two. Mike, which was your favorite game from this week? I mean, it would be really weird if I picked a loss over the win, so apologies if you do that, but... I'm going to say the win over the Utah Jazz was my favorite game of the week. Uh, what What do you say? I I am going to agree, but there was a case for that Miami Heat game if if the overtime went a little bit better. If those first 55 seconds, Jimmy Butler didn't just go off and dominate, um, this could have been it. Just because I do sometimes love the games where the Raptors are just like not playing very well, but still are really close to winning the game or do win the game. And that was a perfect example of that uh, this weekend and or this uh, this week, I guess. And, you know, I would have given it to that, but I'm going to go with the, the Jazz one, especially considering how they were just dominating in the first half. Now, looking forward to next week or this week, I guess, Philadelphia, they're in Philly on Sunday. They are in Chicago on Monday Wednesday, the Kawhi return game, and Saturday, they're going to be at home against the Brooklyn Nets. I think I know the answer to this one, Mike, but which game are you looking forward to the most? Uh, it's definitely got to be the Chicago Bulls. No, um, it's going to be the Kawhi game. So he gets his ring. They're going to obviously have a tribute to him. Uh, it's going to be cool to see. And you know, it's tough to see him leave. I don't blame him for going back home. I never blame a guy for doing that. And But the Raptors are going to really want to come out and kind of give it to him. So I, to me, if they came out with a little bit of energy, that wouldn't shock me. And the crowd's going to be electric. I would expect a playoff-like atmosphere. So it's the Kawhi game. And obviously, as we're having an entire podcast on it, <laughs> that to me is pretty obvious. So what do you think? Yeah, I... I agree, but I'm going to go something else. Just because my my men's league hockey is Wednesday nights, and this is the last week before playoffs, we got we to gotta secure a, a high seed, so I have to be there. And I'm going to be missing this game live, so I'll have to watch it after the fact. 
I, I might think about bringing my my phone onto the bench and watch it <laughs> while I'm while I'm off. But uh, because of that reason, I'm going to go with the 76ers game. It's you know we obviously saw how Joel Embiid got shut out. It's in Philly. Philly always has really like really good home crowd. As much as I hate it, as much as I hate the Philly crowd, it's really good. It's a reason why I hate it. You know Joel Embiid is going to come out hot. I think you know Simmons is going to come out hot. They're going to want to win against the Raptors and. I'm just excited for that game for that reason, but obviously, the the Kawhi return game is going to be the big one to watch. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. That will do it for us. Let us know what you guys think about the podcast by leaving a rate and a review of us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you guys get your podcasts from. Subscribe, like, rate, review, all that fun stuff. RaptorsRapture.com at RaptorsRapture on Twitter. Mike, thank you so much for talking. Yeah, thanks, Hunter. Great talking to you.